Welcome to Victory Church Podcast. At Victory, we are committed to connecting people to God, His church and their purpose. For more information, visit victorychurch.net.au. Now prepare your heart to hear a word from God today. Firstly, I'm really excited about this morning, uh, the word that I feel that God's placed on my heart. Can't wait to share it because I can't wait to get off to see what God does actually is the real point. But I don't know about you, but I've been really enjoying this last month in our morning services. If you see just how the Spirit of God has been moving. I mean, Ashley kicked it off uh, four weeks ago when he spoke about forgiveness and how to forgive others, which sparked a thought uh, in Tony when he was away and we came back and uh, he shared about then how you forgive yourself. And in that um, message, there was the line about, you know, just because you're hurting, uh, not hurting doesn't mean you're not hurt. And last week, he shared the message about having a healed heart. And I just want to encourage you. I think all of those messages have been phenomenal. And so please make sure you visit the website or go onto the podcast channel or the Podbean channel, download those messages because they really have been amazing. I found very, very helpful. But last week, Tony made a comment when he was talking about the healed heart, and he said the healed heart is a heart where the walls of offence have been uh, broken down. And it just set something off in my heart during the week, and I thought, actually, that's what I want to be able to talk about this morning. So I've titled my my message, When Walls Come Down. And um, as we've mentioned a couple of times, Tony is away, and what you have to understand is we sometimes have a little bit of a tradition in our home, it's more for our uh, youngest child, Bailey, is that sometimes when mum or dad are away, they get the ultimate privilege of being able to spend the night uh, in our bed. Now, it's a privilege because th- my bed is very sacred. I don't share my bed with it. Tony and I, right from the get-go, when, when we first get married, we were like, this bed is only for two people. And so no matter how old our kids were and no matter what stage, if they found themselves in our room in the middle of the night, scared, nightmare, whatever, I never, ever threw open the quilt cover and said, oh, come on in. Sometimes that's the easiest option because it's just like I can't be bothered getting out, but I just, I knew the sanctity of my bed, I knew the sanctity of my sleep, and it was like, no, it was much better if I got up out of bed grabbed them by the hand, walked them back to the bed, dealt with what it was that had got them out of bed and put them back. So to sleep in our bed is a very, very rare treat. And the thing you have to also understand is my kids, the way they sleep astounds me. Like I'm one of those sleepers, I I move a little bit, but generally I'll go, I sleep like this and I do smile or I sleep like this, my arms up there. Have you ever done that? And then you're like, can't feel my arm. <laughs> the blood's going. <laughs> and or, or occasionally I do the old side sleep. And I always sleep this side. My hairdresser says, how come your head's always flat? So I, that's how I sleep. But m- my husband and my kids is a totally different story. In fact, Geordie, we had bought a double bed for Geordie because when our friends stay over, we often will move into Geordie's room and they give them our room. I go into Geordie's room. She sleeps from corner to corner. Like just, and it's almost like she's marking a territory. And I'm like, you know what? God help your husband. I don't know where he's going to fit in that equation. But that's how our kids sleep. And Bailey is no exception, except for the fact that she sleeps with no less than 20 stuffed toys. 
and they change. If you were here last Sunday night at the intern takeover, Geordie used that in part of her 20 stuffed toys and they change every night. And I have been guilty of, she said to me, can you wake me up in the morning? And I've gone into her room and um, she's got a loft bed, so I kind of climb up the stairs and I put my hand on her and I'm shaking her saying, Bailey, Bailey, it's time to get up. Bailey, Bailey, it's time to get up. Bailey, Bailey, it's time to get up. Then I've got to go a few extra stairs and I start, start whispering, Bailey, Bailey, it's time to get up. To find out that, oh, that's not Bailey, that's one of the stuffed toys <laughs> I've been trying. So you, you often can find, can't find Bailey. But... So on the rare occasion of when mummy relents and says, um, okay, you know what, tonight, special treat, you're able to sleep in my bed, um, I have to admit, I've not enjoyed it. It's, I don't know, the very first time I ever let Beach come and sleep in the bed, I don't know how many times I woke up and I'd have a foot in my back or even like in your face or hands or they, they'll be sleeping and they go, bang, wakes you up. And so you start really graciously, just push her on, just get on back on daddy's side, push her. And after 5, 10, 20 times, by the edge, you're just like, just get on. I don't care if you fall off. Just get off. And so I discovered after doing this a couple of times, I thought, this is ridiculous. I'm not sleeping well. I don't enjoy it. So I thought I had a brainwave. I thought, I know what I'm going to do. I grabbed all our pillows. I got her to get her pillows, her soft toys, her, uh, and my pillows on the bed. And I built the great wall of pillows between her and I so that when she went to bed, and she slept there, she could do whatever she liked on her side. It wouldn't have an impact on me. The problem is, the impact that had on me is, I, was, I went to bed, I thought, cool, I've got my... Because, you know, I told you, I sleep like this, so it's quite comfy. But the wall actually impacted me. I found I would roll over, and just subconsciously I knew it was there. Or I touched it or whatever. And I had just a bad sleep with having the great wall of pillow in my bed as I did if I didn't have it. And I just thought, you know what, here I built something as a self-preservation to protect me that in turn imprisoned me. I went from, hey, you know what, Bailey's annoying and that's all over me. Here, I'm going to put something in place because I'm clever and I'm smart and I know what I'm doing. I'm going to do this. But the very thing I built to protect me imprisoned me. And I just felt God say to me, you know, that's a good picture of how circumstances and situations happen to us in life and that's what we do. Things happen to us and we find ourselves building walls that are supposed to be protection. They're supposed to be self-preservation. They're supposed to just stop that happening again. But what in reality actually happens is we imprison ourselves. Perhaps you're here this morning and you know what, you've had a friendship with someone, you've developed a really good friendship, you've been vulnerable, you've opened up, you've shared a, a hurt or a pain or a concern or a fear, only to find that your friend uh, passed on that information, used it against you, shared it. And your natural inclination then is to put a wall up to say, you know what, because they did that, I'm not going to trust anyone anymore. I'm not going to be vulnerable. I'm not going to open up. I'm, not, I'm going to carry everything on my, on my own. Or perhaps uh, the, it's a result of a broken relationship. You know what? You've been hurt by a relationship, devastated. Your husband's left you. Your wife's left you. You didn't even make it that far. But a relationship has devastated you. And it's a protection to protect your heart, to think, I don't ever 
want to feel that way again. I don't ever want to experience those emotions and the things that came out of that. You've put in a, a wall, you've put in a modus operandi of how you're going to operate so that that won't happen to me again. And so you just withdraw. So it's like, I'm not going to be friendly. I'm not going to be nice. I'm not going to even open up the possibility of my heart to experience love again. And so the behaviours that we put in place that build the wall that we think are going to protect us actually imprison us. Because what happens is if I'm not going to be open and vulnerable with anyone, I end up carrying everything. And I'm just as miserable. It's just a different misery. Or if I, um, I won't open my heart up to love again, I think, well, I just don't want to experience that betrayal, that letdown, that uh, pain of being abandoned. But the problem is we, we have the prison of loneliness. Again, we just, so we, we're trying to do a trade-off. We're saying, I'm not going to do this because I'm going to control what happens to me. But the very thing we think that we're building and putting in place to protect us is the very thing that imprisons us. And so this morning, I want to be able to talk to us about when walls come down. Because what I've discovered is that life happens. <clears throat> and we shouldn't be surprised about that. I mean, you cannot go through this world without being hurt, without being disappointed, without feeling offended, without um, struggling with some form of addiction or habit or something we're doing that we don't like. We, can't, we, we just can't go through life without experiencing that. And the thing is, we shouldn't be surprised. Because Jesus tells us in John um, chapter 30, uh, 13, he says... I was going to tell you without looking at it, but it went. It says John 6, you know why it went? Because I knew as soon as I said 13, it's not 13. It's John 16, 33, and it says, in this world, you'll have trouble. It's like, thanks, Lord. Hey, killjoy, in this world. But, but he goes on to say, but take heart because I have overcome the world. And so we shouldn't be surprised that we get hurt. We shouldn't be surprised that we get disappointed. We shouldn't be surprised that we get offended because Jesus has warned us that that stuff's coming. What we need to do is work on our response to what that comes. See, the natural tendency, like I said, is that happened to me. So this, that was out of my control, but what's in my control is how I respond to that. And how I'm going to respond to that is I'm going to protect myself. I'm self-preserving here because I don't want to experience that again. And uh, we're learning that walls that we build, the walls, the same walls that we build to keep others out are the same walls that we build that keeps God out. And so what we need to do is work out how, what can we do to pull those walls down? Because I don't want, I want to keep the pain out, yes. I want to stop this, yes. But at the same time, what if I stop that, I'm also stopping this. It's a two-edged sword. And so this morning we want to talk about when walls come down. And I want to look at one of the most famous walls in history. We want to look at the wall that protected the city of Jericho. And I want to look at what Joshua and the Israelites did that made that wall came, come down. Now, if you've got your Bibles with you, we are going to read from Joshua 5. It's going to come up behind me. There's quite a bit of uh, text this morning. So before we do that, I'm going to take a drink. So just smile at the person next to you. Awesome. But let's just a little bit of background. If you're here this morning, what you have to understand is that um, 
Moses has been leading the Israelites in the desert. For 40 years they've been wandering. They came out of Egypt. They were supposed to go into the promised land. Uh, That didn't happen. They were wandering in the desert for 40 years. Moses has died and now Joshua is leading the Israelites. And God has spoken to him and said, now is the time for you to enter into the promised land, to take hold of the promises for which I've called you out of Egypt, you and all the people. So the Israelites have crossed the River Jordan. And the very first city, the very first battle that they face is the walled city of Jericho. Now we need to understand that this is a formidable city. The historians tell us that this city was built on a mound. A mound is bigger than a mound, but a hill. So it's built on an embankment. And the wall, when they talk about the walls of Jericho, there were two walls. The first wall was the outer wall was 20 foot tall and six foot wide. And then there was 15 metres up from that wall was a second wall, which was 30 feet tall and 12 foot wide. And those walls were separated by the 15 foot gap and a guarded walkway. So this is an imposing, impenetrable, uh, daunting wall that the Israelites were facing and it was in lockdown. So obviously the city has gates where people could come in and go out, but they'd heard that the Israelites were coming and so they had locked the city down. And it's at this point we find Joshua in chapter 5, he's scouting the land, looking for, okay, if God has said, I'm giving you the city, he's scouting, he's doing his due diligence as to, okay, what do I need to do here, Lord, to be able to win this battle? And we're going to pick it up in Joshua chapter 5, verse 13. It says, Now when Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. Joshua went up to him and asked, Are you for us or our enemies? Neither, he replied, but as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. Then Joshua fell face down on the ground in reverence and asked him, What message does my Lord have for his servant? The commander of the Lord's army replied, Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. And we're going to turn over to chapter 6. Chapter 6, verse 1 says, Now the gates of Jericho were securely barred because of the Israelites. No one went out and no one came in. Then the Lord said to Joshua, See, I've delivered Jericho into your hands, along with its king and its fighting men. March around the city once with all the armed men. Do this for six days. Have seven priests carry trumpets of ram's horns in front of the ark. On the seventh day, march around the city seven times with the priests blowing the trumpets. When you hear them sound a long blast on the trumpets, have the whole army give a loud shout. Then the wall of the city will collapse and the army will go up and everyone straight in. So Joshua, son of Nun, called the priests and said to them, Take up the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord and have seven priests carry trumpets in front of it. And he ordered the army, advance, march around the city with an armed guard going ahead of the Ark of the Lord. When Joshua had spoken to the people, the seven priests carrying the seven trumpets before the Lord went forward, blowing their trumpets, and the Ark of the Lord's Covenant followed them. The armed guard marched ahead of the priests who blew the trumpets, and the rear guard followed the Ark. All this time the trumpets were sounding. But Joshua had commanded the army, do not give a war cry, do not raise your voices, do not say a word until the day I tell you to shout, then shout. So he and the ark of the Lord, so he had the ark of the Lord carried around the city, circling at once. 
Then the army returned to camp and spent the, next, the night there. And we're going to jump down to verse 15. It just repeats it, saying that for six days they continued in that same pattern. And verse 15 says, On the seventh day they got up at daybreak and marched around the city seven times in the same manner, except on that day they circled the city seven times. The seventh time around... When the priest sounded the trumpet blast, Joshua commanded the army, Shout, for the Lord has given you the city. The city and all that is in it is to be devoted to the Lord. Only Rahab the prostitute and all who are with her in her house shall be spared, because she hid the spies we sent. But keep away from the devoted things so that you will not bring about your own destruction by taking any of them. Otherwise you will make the camp of the Israel liable to destruction and bring trouble on it. All the silver and gold and articles of bronze and iron are sacred to the Lord and must go into his treasury. When the trumpet sounded, the army shouted, and at the sound of the trumpet, when the men gave a loud shout, the wall collapsed. So everybody charged straight in and took the city. A formidable wall, imposing, almost looking indestructible, a menace to Joshua and the Israelites. And so we've got to look at that and say, so what did Joshua do to be able to bring that wall down? And my first point this morning is for walls to come down in our lives, we need to surrender our agenda. If we go right back to the beginning, this is why I started in chapter 5 and verse 13, Joshua's scouting, he's looking, he's thinking, what do I do here? I'm the commander, everybody's relying on me, I've got to come back with the battle plan, I've got to come back and say, this is what we're doing. He's scouting and he uh, runs into a man and he says, hey, are you with me or are you against me? And we have to understand that theologians tell us that this man is what they call a Christophany, which is Christ himself. He's appeared in the form of a man. Literally, Joshua is standing up to God saying, so God, are you for me or not? And this is what I love in God's response. He says, neither. I haven't come to be on your side. He said, I've come to take over. I'm not about choosing sides. I am in control. And Joshua, you need to remember who really calls the shots. And if you're sitting here this morning saying, but the wall that I'm facing, the habit that I've developed, the hurt that's within my heart, the offence that I'm carrying, God, are you with me? Are you here to help me? God's saying, hey, I'm here to call the shots. I'm in charge. We need to surrender our agenda and say, God, it's not about are you on my side. It's not a, God is not saying, we say to God, are you on my side? Let me tell you what God is saying back to us. Are you on my side? Galatians 2.20 says, I am not my own. I was sharing in the chapel service uh, Galatians 2.20, let me, because that's my paraphrase. That's how I always remember. It says, I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. You know, I don't know if you remember back in February, we had our Feb fast and we had the three days where we did our prayer meetings and they were amazing times, special times. And we, on the Sunday night, we had the Selah moment where we just had different testimonies. And um, I shared 
with you there. Some of you may remember that in the um, prayer meeting nights, just one of the nights, just I had a real encounter with God. And I, when I got saved 30 years ago, I, one of my favourite songs was the song, I Am Not My Own. It's an old uh, school song, easy to sing. And um, the lyrics go, I am not my own. I've been purchased with a price. The precious blood of Christ, I am not my own. And I've, that's been a mantra of my life for the last 30 years. I've always, whenever I've come up against something I haven't wanted to do, I'm not sure about this, I've, it's always resonated. I am not my own. I am not my own. Galatians 2.20 is real for me. When I said yes to Jesus, I, did, I handed over the reins of my life. So when God asked me to do something, there's no argument well, there is, but I lose because I'm not my own. It just is an argument because I'm trying to hold on to my rights as soon as I remember that. So I'm in the prayer meeting and I'm singing that song just to myself, worship's doing whatever. And God says to me, Kath, when did you change the lyrics? And so I thought, well, what do you mean, Lord? And he said to me, can I sing to you how you sing that song now? So I said, okay. So he says, now you sing it. I've made God my own. I will serve you at a price. My price of comfort and safety, please. I've made God my own. And I felt totally undone because I was the girl who always said yes. And God said to me, when did yes become no? And I said, what do you mean yes became no? And he said, Kath. I understand 2016 was not great. And there were some things about 2015 that weren't also great. And he said, it's 2017 and you've built a wall. You've just said, you know what? God, I'll serve you. I've served you for 22 years. I'll keep going. But I'm going to serve you in my way and with my agenda. And he just said to me, I thought you said you are not your own. And I said, I do say that. And he said, honey, you ain't living it. And I did what Joshua did right then and there, is I fell to my feet. I just said, God, you're right. I've been doing life with my agenda. I've been serving you, yes, but I'm serving you on my conditions. In fact, I'm just like Joshua saying, God, whose side are you on? But don't you know what they did to me, Lord? I only had that conversation with them because I wanted the best for them. Do you not know how they responded to me? He said, Kev, I am not my own. He said, are you willing to surrender your agenda? You've built up a wall of protection where you no longer will go or no longer do or no longer because you don't want to feel that anymore. And I had to get to a point where I said, Lord, I need to be like Joshua and I need to surrender my agenda. I've discovered that the wall that I built to preserve me, to protect me, I just said, there ain't no way I'm doing that anymore, Lord. I'm not having those conversations. I'm not getting involved in that thing. I'm not doing that because I know how it ends for me. And he said, that wall of self-protection is your prison. 
because I've called you to something. And I've not only called you, I've equipped you to do it. And when you fight me on doing that, you've imprisoned yourself. So you think you're free, but you're not actually free because you're struggling in yourself. And that's a word for some of us here this morning. God has called you. He's put destiny upon you. He has a job and a role for you, but you got hurt. You got offended. You've uh, been betrayed. Then join the club because look at our saviour, the king. Do you think he wasn't betrayed? And we just got to say, you know what? This wall that I've built, this wall that I put up, I put it up. I did it. I thought, God, I know better than you. I'm going to put this in. I know I've put, I built it. And God's going, you know what? I, and I'm, I'm arguing with him. Whose side are you on? I want to be justified. But you don't understand what they did. And he goes, no, I do understand what they did. He said, but I'm not here to take sides, Kath. I'm here to take over. Will you not give me control of everything? And if you're here this morning and you know that there's a wall in your world, something's been done and you've, just, you've created patterns, you've created a belief system, you've created a modus of operandi, how you operate, so that you won't feel that again, I'm here to tell you that's a wall that's got to come down because God is not on your side. He wants to be in control of your life. We want, if we want walls to come down this morning, then we need to surrender our agenda. Is that really the time? Secondly, the other thing that I get out of this is not only do we need to surrender our agenda, for walls to come down, we need to obey and not delay. I think it's really interesting, the battle plan that God gave Joshua. Now, I'm, I know I'm not an army general. I know I've never been to war. But I go, really? Marching around a wall in silence? I'm like, where's the catapults? Where's the battering ram? I mean, I've watched some of these. Where's those fiery darts? Where's the, you know, where they put the big balls of hay and then they set them on fire and they launch them over the wall to take those suckers out? I'm like, where's that? So I'm like, Lord, so, and I just, God says to me, Kath, Isaiah, my ways are higher than your ways. I'm like, what are you saying, Lord? Are you better than me? It's like, oh, duh, she's daft. Finally, she gets it. Isaiah 55, 9 says, that, As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your thoughts. God knows best. I put that pillow wall in place because I thought in my own thinking that, you know what, that'll keep Bailey on the side there. And it did, but what I didn't realise is what it did in me. And we think, you know what, I know how to attack this. This hurt that's been put up, this offence, this uh, habit that I've got, this thing I'm grappling with, this thought process, whatever it is I'm trying to deal with, I think I know best. And God is saying, my way is better than your ways. Obey and don't delay. Don't come and do your own thing. Can you imagine that if the Israelites just went, thanks, Lord, good plan, but we're going to do it our way. Those walls would never came down. They came down because they obeyed what God says to do. 2 Corinthians 9 or chapter 10, verses 3 and 4 says, For we live, though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. God's weapons are different than ours. He told the people to be silent. Now, I don't know about you, but I would want to intimidate my opposition. I'd be wanting to yell and shout and let them know that I'm there. And God said, be silent. 
Remember, his, high, his ways are higher than us. His, his weapons that we have. So you might be looking at your wall saying, well, I'm just going to shout it down. I'm just going to speak to it. And he says, be silent. And the reason he said, be silent, I think is because Joshua only told the Israelites what God had spoken to them. I think the Israelites needed to hear God speak to them for themselves. And I think we approach prayer in a way as if it's a phone, but only a phone with a mouthpiece and no receiver. And we go to God with this, 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 and this. And sometimes God just says, you know what? You need to be still and know that I am God. And so we need to have a phone that doesn't have a mouthpiece, but just a receiver. And God put them in a place where they had to walk around silently so they could hear for themselves. What is God saying to us about this? It's okay for what Kath on the platform is telling me I should do, but God, what are you saying to me? Because you can speak to me directly. So I think the weapon of silence is about hearing from God. And the other reason, I think, is because, you know what? If they'd started talking to one another, they would have talked each other out of it. Can you imagine? They're hardened. Well, they're not, actually. Stop there. But they're soldiers, and they've been told, march around. I can imagine they'd be like, this guy's nuts. I don't know who he met out there, but he went on a scouting mission, and he's come back and told us, walk around. And mind you, don't say anything. And I think if they, would, if they could speak, murmuring would have started. Grumbling would have started. So who does this guy think he is? I think he's insane. Let's do it. Let's mount a mutiny and let's just take him out and we'll take over. Sometimes, whatever your wall is, you need to be silent. You need to hear what God is saying to you and then you need to zip it and just go, you know what? I'm not talking to anyone else about that. I'm not going to, because I don't need someone else's information to be placed onto me. I just need to know this is what God said, and I don't want to give voice to my fear, and I don't want to give voice to my doubt, and I don't want to give voice that could actually derail someone else's. And I think they were silent because as they were marching around, they were grappling within themselves, but God, and then they hear God, and they say, but I've heard you, God, and I don't want to speak my doubt because then that could interrupt someone else's. The weapons we fight with are different from the world. The weapons in this story were weapons of silence. And then the second one is, in actual fact, the weapon of praise. He says, on the seventh day, after you've been around seven times, once I blow the trumpet, then you shout. If you want your walls to come down, I believe you need to praise your way through. It's different from me saying, hey, silence, don't talk about it. There's a difference between talking about it and praising something. That's what God said to me. He said, you might sing that you're... um, not your own, but you're not walking that way. And sometimes we've just got to praise our way through. I've discovered that I need to worship before I war. Worship before I war. Because when I worship, when I focus my attention on God, when I start to see what He says about me, what He says to me, what He's asking me to do in light of who He is, I start to move from a position of, God, don't you know how big my problem is? To the position of, problem, don't you know how big my God is? We need to do the weapon of praise. It's only after we've been in his presence we're able to stop telling God how big our problem is and start telling our problems how big our God is. And what I love about this too, just for notes, because when I was just going through all the information, there's two types of horns that are used or trumpets that are used in the Israelites' time. One is the silver one 
and one is the ram's horn. And the silver one, they say, they use that when they're making an announcement, an important announcement that they needed the whole uh, Israelites to know. So they would blow the silver horn and they would, that would be a sign. There's an announcement coming. We need to gather and hear it. The ram's horn is a sign of celebration. They, stood, they played the ram's horn to say, it's party time. And God says to the Israelites, you play the ram's horn before the walls come down. And I don't know what wall it is you're facing this morning. I don't know how many times you've even tried to face it. What I do know is you need to blow the horn of celebration, blow the horn of victory before you'll see any cracks within that foundation. God said to them, you know what? The battle's won. In the early dialogue, when he's talking to Joshua, he says, I have given you the city. He didn't say, if you do this, I'll give you the city. He said, I've given you the city. Now do this. We've got to approach our wall with the, op- with the mindset that says, I'm already, I'm coming from a place of victory. Jesus has already won for me. I don't have to battle this in my own strength. It's done. Those walls are down. I just need to praise my way through it. If you want your walls to come down, then celebrate the victory before. Romans 8.31 says, If God is for us, then who can be against us? I don't know what walls you're facing this morning, but I do know if you obey and don't delay, those walls will come tumbling down. And thirdly, I'm going to ask if the band can come back up on stage. Don't stop on six. When it comes to the walls in your life coming down, Never, ever, ever give up. Do you know, this story does not read so well if they stopped after the second day. Doesn't even read well if they stopped after the third day or the fourth day, even if they made it to the fifth and just did the sixth day. It's like, woohoo, we made six days, but you know what, we're done now. The story doesn't read the same until they make it to the seventh day, until they do what it is they were called and asked to do, is when the breakthrough came. Now, I'm not a great mathematician, but I do know that you can't get to seven without going through one to six. And many of us do life, we want seven, but we hate one to six. I'm not saying you have to enjoy it. I'm just saying you have to endure it. And you cannot get to seven without getting through one to six. And I don't know what God's asking you to do. But what I can encourage you is don't stop on six. Theologians tell us that Joshua never told the Israelite army the whole battle plan. He told them every day. Today, here's the plan. You're walking around the oval. You're walking around the walls once. They went home the next morning. They fronted up. He says, you're walking around once, silent once. He did it for six. He never told them because if he told them seven days... It would have just been, okay, cool, I can do that. I know what's coming. But come on, life doesn't tell us what's coming ahead. I didn't know in 2015 what 2016 was going to look like. I don't know what tomorrow is going to look like. If we did, we'd approach life differently. But God, it's a walk of faith. So we had to front up on day two. And then we got our instructions. Then on day three, you get your instructions again. And on day four, you get your instructions again. On day five. Seven, day seven brings glory to God, but it doesn't bring glory to God if there's no days one to six. Commentator Dr. Alan Redpath says this, many people don't see the answers to their breakthrough simply because they've stopped one round short in their conquest of their personal Jericho. What I know about walls 
is they don't come up overnight. They take time to build. It can take offence over offence, over hurt, over disappointment, over this, over that. We can build a wall in a year. You can build a wall in 23 years. You can build a wall in 40 years. So why do we approach God with the notion of you need to just break it like that? It took me 40 years to build this. It took me 30 years to build this. It took me 20 years, five years, five months, whatever it is to build you. It doesn't matter what stage of the wall building you're in. It's just the recognition of, hey, I've been building a wall. It's taken me this time, but I'm going to persevere because I understand I fight from a position of victory. I'm going to obey what he says to me and I ain't quitting. I don't know what you are facing this morning. I don't know... What you, and you're right, I don't know what they did to you. And you may even be justified in holding on to your offence or justified in holding on to your stance and your position. You don't know. If, if you knew they did this, then you would agree with me. You're right, I don't know. But Jesus does. And he says to us, you know, if we were talking about justification, and I get it because I'm a justice girl. Justice just means I expect people, that if they behave that way, they should be rewarded or non-rewarded that way. And then Jesus just reminds me, uh, think of the cross. If we all got what we deserved, none of us would be sent. None of us get what we deserve. And so we've got to understand, you know what? For the walls to come down, I need to surrender my agenda and say, stop waiting, saying, God, I'm sure you're on my side. Can you just smite them, almighty smiter, and I will be happy? Or can you just obey and not delay I don't know what it is over these last three weeks that the Holy Spirit has been talking to you and touching you about, forgiving others, forgiving yourself, your hard, the hard areas of the heart. I don't know what he's been talking to you about. I just know that if you obey and don't delay, your walls will come down. And I also know don't stop on six. I can't guarantee. There's no magic wand that, yep, you do all this, it's tomorrow. I just can say... We fight from a position of victory. And whatever that victory is for you, you just got to continue in it. And the band had no idea or when they picked the worship songs what I was speaking about this morning. And the first song about the walls and the Do It Again song about the walls. God is trying to get our attention. What you have built in your thinking, man's wisdom, in terms of I will never feel that way again. So what I'm going to do is build my pillow wall so that your impact will not affect me. I brought the effect on myself. I've imprisoned myself with a wall of protection. And this morning, God wants to break those walls down. But for him to do that, we need to do it his way. We need to this morning surrender Whatever it is you're holding on to, your justification, whatever it is this morning, won't you come and bring it to the feet of Jesus and say, God, it's not about you being on my side. It's about you being in control. Won't you obey, put into practice, go, you know what, from today, I'm not delaying. You've been asking me. You've been suggesting graciously. But this morning, you're like, no graciousness whatsoever, just an act of doing it now. And then can I encourage you not to give up. Thank you for taking the time to listen. If you have any questions, please email us at admin at victorychurch.net.au. 